Welcome back, everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy with a special series, EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm broadcasting from my office today. Um, not our typical set, but I'm really excited to welcome on our show today. So we have an ISEF certified EFT trainer, Dr. Greg Cheney. He is a chaplain in the United States Army, and we are filming today on Veterans Day. Thank you to our veterans. Um, so we're so excited to bring him on. He's not only a chaplain in the United States Army, as I mentioned, he's a trainer for EFT. He helps train other therapists. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a licensed clinical mental health counselor. And he is stationed out in North Carolina. And he is going to talk to us today about our special topic, which is working with military populations. And so thank you. Do you want me to call you Dr. Cheney or Greg, or how would you like me to? <laughs> no, please call me Greg. Yeah, All right, definitely. perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And you know, if you wouldn't mind just letting everyone know maybe a little bit more about your um, experience with the military, some of your background there. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. You know, I'm really humbled that you would invite me on. That's really neat. Um, yeah. So my background, I'm an army chaplain. I'm on active duty. I've been on active duty for 17 years now. And then um, prior to that, I was a pastor in Northern California. And then one day um, I was hearing that they needed young pastors that could jump out of planes and live in the woods and deploy. And I thought, well, I might fit that mold. And so um, I came into the Army, and so now, uh, 17 years later, as a chaplain, I've gone through about half of my career as an operational chaplain, and then um, from about seven years ago, I've specialized in uh, marriage and family therapy and training other clinicians and chaplains uh, to use clinical models to help um, improve their care with soldiers and their families. Yeah, so that's so wonderful, and that, you know, really brings to mind you know, that the military is a unique population. They face challenges and dynamics that are unique to their culture, their lifestyle, their dynamics that, you know, folks outside the military don't necessarily experience. So, you know, could you maybe speak to a little bit about how um, those dynamics are a little bit different for those who may not know or understand? Sure. Yeah. And I think the first thing I would point out is the military is a big place. And so you mentioned military culture, military culture is giant. And so there's cultures within cultures within cultures within the military. And so even my experience, um, like three quarters of my experience in the army has been at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And so that's my experience and that's my understanding of what the military is like. And so I will be biased towards all things Fort Bragg and army of course. <laughs> So there's okay. some similarities that will go across the military, but then there's things that um, just based on my experiences will be, will be different. And then mm -hmm. I guess it's also important to point out and the army lawyers will be excited for me to say that everything that I say are my views and don't necessarily represent the US Army, the Department of Defense or any of its components. So <laughs> now that that's over with, um, yeah, one of the things that really stands out to me about military culture is just the intensity of it, um, the mm -hmm. fast-paced lifestyle, uh, the long separations. Even before we were in this global war on terrorism, there were still big separations due to trainings or deployment, um, non-combat deployments. 
And so even with the intensity of the military culture on that level, um, and then now we are throwing in this prolonged long war and the impact that that has on it, it just adds another layer of complexity and intensity that happens uh, for folks that are serving in the military. Yeah, well, you have the soldiers who are risking their lives, you know, and they're going to training and training about how to risk their lives also. And obviously that's not an ordinary job, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, I love what you said about the, you know, long separations. And I know that's also a, a unique dynamic for the families is, you know, it can be hard to, so most families, when you live together and you see each other often, it's not like taking a business trip for a week or a few nights. These are months, you know, sometimes six months, sometimes a year um, that you're away from each other. And so it's like, you know, you want your spouse or your loved one to be a part of the family routine, but then having them go away can upset that balance. And it's like, how do we learn to get by and function uh, when you're not able to be here because you're training or deployed? Um, but then you come back, it's kind of like that re-entry period where, you know, now I'm home again. And, you know, how do we reintegrate into that system into the family routine. Um, but then, you know, there's that struggle like, but I know I'm gonna get deployed again next year. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's really a interesting dynamic for the families. And then always, you know, that fear and concern when your family is in the line of danger, you know, when you're not getting phone calls, you know, you have to wait to hear if they're okay. You know, it's, it's a, uh, you know, or even just when they're not in the line of duty or not on the front lines, but they're training in times of peace, you know, not, you know, being able to hear from each other for a couple months on end. Sure. So that can be yeah. really hard on the family, you know? Yeah, for sure. And then all families, the spouse that's not deploying or going on training learns really quickly the necessity of, um, you know, functioning like a single parent, basically. And so all the things that go into being a single parent and then having, like you said, the transition back into parenting as a team, knowing that the soldier is going to go to the field soon or going to deploy again soon. And what does that back and forth, back and forth whiplash start to look like? And yes. uh, I remember one of the extreme cases of um, a very senior um, soldier who was done with his career and he's getting ready to get out and he got a cush job they say if there is a cush job in the army while mm -hmm. he kind of got out of the army and he said that he was ready to start to spend a bunch of time with his family but then he realized and he said this with tears in his eyes that my family has learned to live without me and they yeah. aren't ready to have me um, close right now and so just that dynamic to see a soldier that has served his country well and done everything that the the government and the U.S. Army would ask him to do and sacrifice yeah. deeply and then at the end of his career be so excited to be connected with his family and then realize his family has learned to live without him. Oh man, yeah. that's just heartbreaking. And that really is heartbreaking and um, you know for those of you watching who don't know uh, I was previously married when I was a youngster, <laughs> got married at the age of 20. Um, and my first husband was in the Army National Guard, which was unique because normally, you know, they really didn't do much except on weekends. But 
you know, we were young during the time of 9-11, so he did get deployed uh, during 9-11. And uh, luckily he wasn't on the front lines, but we got a taste of that life of, of having each other away and learning to function independently, which is really hard. And, you know, soldiers come back and, you know, I'm excited to be home and to be with you. It's like, my life has rolled on and I've learned how to do this. And it is, it's super heartbreaking. And, and I hear that often from a lot of the families, the couples that come to me um, in my practice. And um, so, you know, those are some of the unique challenges that they face. And, you know, I find also too, those that have been on the front lines have, have seen things and experienced things that no one else has. <laughs> Um, you know, probably some of the scariest or some of the worst parts of humanity in times of war. And so to come back and, and just like sit at a barbecue or watch a movie, you know, just feels weird. You know, it's like I can't unsee the things that I've seen and, you know, to not be affected by that. It's also really important. So you have a lot of soldiers that have PTSD and you know, they've been impacted. Yeah, it could be really it could be um, really tough. And even now in these wars, especially as you, we think about the more specialized units, you could be in a combat zone, you know, out in a firefight. And then literally days later, you can be at home at your kitchen table. And so mm -hmm. time's gone by, you would just take months and months to get home. And there would be that transition phase of transitioning out of combat, transitioning back to non-combat type things. Mm -hmm our lifestyle. And so that's a tough transition to make over and over again. And um, yeah. yeah, that's really tough. And then you have those that come back impaired and they have full blown PTSD. And then some, I don't think anyone deploys and comes back without any kind of uh, struggles, but some just have some um, PTS, you know, you know post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. that they not, don't have a disorder yet, but they're just making sense of what mm -hmm. this new normal will look like. Yeah, that readjustment period. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely nobody comes back from that unscathed in one way or another, where it's physical wounds, psychological, emotional, um, you know, one way or the other. It, it's such a diverse spectrum there. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and it does affect everybody. So, so, so you're a chaplain and you now, so you used to actually, you said, uh, operational chaplain. So that means you mentioned jumping out of airplanes. So you would jump out of airplanes and such so that you could be with the soldiers on the front line? Yeah, that's the part of the U.S. Army that I love about how they employ their chaplains is that you're just treated like any other soldier. Um, in some services, the chaplains man a chapel and you're trying to get the service members to come to your chapel. Um, in the Army, you are put down in the unit and you do exactly what everybody else does with the exception of you're not carrying a weapon or anything like that. But mm -hmm. if they're jumping out of planes, you're jumping out of planes. If they deploy, you deploy with them. If they're on foot patrols or convoys, you are on those things with them as well. And it develops just such a close relationship and camaraderie and you understand what they're experiencing because you've experienced exactly what they have. And it, gives a window and provides a window into care and um, taking care of these heroes in a way that I was just blown away by. And yeah. So, so the role of the chaplain on the front line is sort of to be that, maybe that pillar of strength, 
uh, someone to help organize the experiences as it as it's happening in live time, maybe helping to create some kind of emotional safety admit amidst the chaos that is inevitably around. What can you speak more to that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the number one role of all chaplains in the military is to ensure the free exercise of religion. Even though we all have specific faith backgrounds that we promote and live by, um, we make sure that every soldier or service member has the opportunity to exercise their faith, whatever it is, in the way that they feel led to. And so, of course, we help enable that as in deployed environments. But then also in those more intense sessions or those more intense environments, um, we're a reminder that um, there's something bigger at play here. And there's other folks that are really concerned about not only just the mission, that we're going to make this mission happen, but we they're also concerned about their well-being, their emotional and physical health, and just actually just being present often really is helpful in that. And then the, that leads into moments outside of those circumstances where you where I'm able to connect with soldiers or they come and find me, I go and find them and it creates a relationship of um, onward care and uh, counseling that can be helpful in those environments. Yeah, it sounds so important and um, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful um, resource to have for the soldiers, both on the front lines. I don't think a lot of people knew that chaplains could jump out of airplanes and um, you know, be right there on the front lines. And although I imagine it might be scary if you aren't carrying a weapon and you're charging in with them to, <laughs> you know, enemy territory. <laughs> it's interesting because some of the soldiers, it makes them more nervous than it makes us. Um, some are really not happy about that. They're like, here, I, they, they, they want to pass off one of their extra weapons or something. And we're like, no, that's okay. Yeah. I'm going to be all right. And because uh, they're thinking about your safety as well. They are, but the interesting thing is that in whatever circumstance, um, there's always something that we can be a part of that we don't need a weapon mm -hmm. for. Um, yeah. Caring for wounded, praying with folks. You know, we're all trained in basic combat lifesaver type skills. And so mm -hmm. we can, even though we're not medics, we can do the basics of that while the medics tend to the more serious type things. And we can also be a resiliency as from the spiritual aspect. And just um, if the soldier's not, spiritual or faith-based we can just be there as uh, another human that's going to be there close to them while they're struggling so there's yeah. all kinds of ways to employ that yeah yeah it's so important now so when did you um start working on getting your license as a therapist how did that transition sort of occur yeah so the army about at the 10-year mark gives chaplains a choice to specialize in certain areas um, one area they can specialize in is in marriage and family therapy. And so um, I chose to specialize in that. And then that put in place, you know, uh, getting another graduate degree and then all the things that go along with getting licensed. And so I went through that. Um, and the goal for the chaplain corps and for the army is to use us as trainers of other chaplains to increase their counseling skills because they're out doing what I just described and to take someone that's trained and licensed to help develop and help bring them along in their counseling skills is the main role of what that looks like. And so now you see, so in addition to the chaplain duties, you also will provide counseling for 
um, veterans, uh, service members, like individual counseling, but also for their marriages and their families. Right. Correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have a pastoral counseling center on Fort Bragg, which is the goal of that is to folks that have a faith background and um, integrate clinical skills into that faith background to help care for the population on Fort Bragg, which on Fort Bragg, there's over 50,000 soldiers. So you can think of that plus all their families and then all the uh, retirees that are in the area. So at our counseling center, um, anyone with a Department of Defense ID card basically that can get on the installation can come to our counseling center. And so there, I do a little bit of clinical work, but mostly I do supervision we train them in EFT, we train them, we train our counselors um, in, of course, crisis management and that sort of thing. But uh, that my main role now is as one of the directors of that counseling center. So soldiers or their families don't necessarily have to have faith or be a part of any religion to come and get the services on right. the base. Right, yeah, one of the, one of the things that we talk about in our informed consent is, um, of course, we are, pastors and we're chaplains but at the same time we're just going to integrate faith into your care in for what's helpful for you and even in one of our intake forms it shows you know it puts one of those fun scales on there from zero to ten what where is faith how important is faith in your life and if it's really important we integrate it and if it's not really important we just deal with them from a clinical point of view and so mm -hmm. um, yeah. that seems to work really well. well that's great and i love so you know, you mentioned EFT. And so again, you know, as you guys heard at the beginning, um, I'm an EFT supervisor and therapist and Greg is an ICEFT, a certified EFT trainer. And if you're watching EFT talk, you're probably a therapist already familiar with EFT, but if you're new, um, EFT stands for Emotionally Focused Therapy. And um, it is the current gold standard for couples counseling and it's, you know, effective. That's why we use it because we like to use what's work, what works, and it's evidence-based. We know the model itself has been tested for its outcomes and whether or not it's effective. So we know that it is hands down effective um, for producing that uh, long-lasting change more than other models. So that's why we use it. And so, you know, Greg, what would you say? So you see families, you see individuals, you see couples. Um, what would you say is unique about their presenting issues when they come? Um, is there maybe like a theme to some of the struggles or some types of marital dynamics that are different or more akin to the culture of the military, the lifestyle versus what a regular couple might be? Sure, yeah, that's a great question. I think just generally speaking, um, folks that we see in the military, just like military culture tends to be more intense and fast paced, um, mm -hmm. the issues and the dynamics in the therapy room tend to be more intense and fast paced more frequently. Uh, I remember as comparing what I would counsel folks for before I got in the military to, in, in the local church and then comparing to what I was counseling while in the military, I remember thinking like I would see some really intense cases like once every so often um, when I reflected on the cases that I would have in the military or in the army, they were just pretty much the exception was that I wouldn't have an intense case. And so um, that would be the first thing that jumps out to me. Mm -hmm. um, what qualifies as intense per se? 
um, I would say complex, complex trauma. Um, yeah. Complex trauma is what would be the intensity there. So if you can think about folks in just society, we all have family of origin, um, big T or little T trauma, attachment injuries, those sorts of things. Um, some of us are blessed to have, uh, you know, great upbringings with good attachment homes, family of origin. Some of us aren't. Um, so we take those dynamics. And then if you plump, plop those individuals and families into the military and then put deployments, um, combat experiences, and then overlay that with any kind of other personal big T or little T trauma, um, all of a sudden something that happens in the moment that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal triggers all that attachment history in a way that brings the intensity to the room in a way that um, I, I characterize it as being really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Something that you can really, uh, will keep you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah, keeps you really, um, I like that, on your toes in session. And, you know, I hear a lot of, a lot of um, clients sort of, when they first come in, it's easy to think like, oh, well, if my, my partner has trauma, they just need to deal with that on their own. It's got nothing to do with us. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that the trauma runs right into the relationship, you know, because, you know, whatever impacts us in our way of being is not cut off when we enter the door in our house. <laughs> it affects the way we interact with other human beings. So um, it's definitely important to know how it shows up in the way that you guys interact together. And, you know, one also very important thing that I like to tell my clients is you don't have to be a part of the problem in order to be a part of the healing, right? Sure. You, you don't have to be there when the trauma, I mean, obviously you're not a uh, husband and wife fighting on combat lines, you know, you're not going to be a part of the trauma you don't need to be in order to be a resource for healing to help create a safe place. So, you know, part of our, our work can be helping the non-traumatized partner to learn how to respond and um, build that safety, be that resource of comfort and soothing for their traumatized partner, um, which is so helpful for their own awesome. healing. Yep, I totally agree. And the other dynamic of that that seems to be really present in the with military couples is that you have the soldier or the service member that has those mm -hmm. very intense combat experiences, but then you have the partner that has been the stay at home single parent that has gone through and kept everything going. And when the soldiers come back, kept him going or her going and really kept them everything working so that the soldier can go back to the field, go back and deploy, keep the mission going. And then, so then you have this really capable spouse that no one sees their pain and yeah. no one sees their hurt and no one sees the struggle that they have and no one makes sense of that for them. So they feel really alone in that. So when you think of military couples and that intensity of those experiences, wow, that is just brings a whole nother level of why I love using EFT um, with those couples. That's such a good point. I love that you say that, you know, and EFT is great at, you know, bringing two truths to realities. By truth, we're really talking about realities. Two realities experienced differently, bringing them together and teaching people how to have that connection. And, you know, is often the case with military couples. You know, you have the soldier who 
might've been on the front lines or has been deployed. And, you know, this isn't vacation that they're on, you know, they're not out, you know, having margaritas on a beach somewhere, (laughs) you know, while mom's back home holding down the fort or dad, you know, whatever. Um, And so, you know, you have their, their reality that they're trying to deal with as they reintegrate back into normal life in as much normality as they can achieve. But then, you know, the partner who's been left behind that's holding down the fort, you know, the pain that they go through when, you know, there's maybe moments like um, baby's first step that, you know, the other partner didn't get to witness or, you know, little Timmy broke his arm and we had to go to the hospital and it was so scary and I didn't have you to talk to or to call or, you know, um, to comfort me, you know, just key moments of life that are lived and sort of missed in the marital frame when you have people having to live separately. And so the pain that goes along with that loneliness or also wanting to be seen for all the hard work they're doing, because it is hard work, running a household, keeping the kids, you know, possibly having your own job as well. You know, so being able to see that, and this this can be a core struggle for the uh, service members when they try to come back together in their families is how to bring right. those two realities together. Yep. And then the other part of that that tends to be present in many of the cases that we see is due to all of those struggles, the intensity of those experiences, one or both of um, the people in those relationships are using something to manage their pain or their discomfort or their disconnection. And so whether the emotions, right. And so whether that be substances, whether that be gaming, whether that's um, emotional, yeah, sex, all kinds of different ways that they're managing that. And so Mm -hmm. then you have all these other things that are present on top of um, the trauma and the separations. And that's what makes these military couples really complex. Yeah. Learning to, focus to turn out in a way to regulate their emotions and not um, being able to turn inward towards their partner or really be able to sit with their emotion. And that's, that's a big, kind of a big word with uh, service members is emotion. And um, so let's, let's talk about the role of emotion with service members and why so I'm not going to say that all are this way, but I do know at least of the service members I've known and have worked with in my practice, you know, emotion has been primarily shut down for survival purposes. Obviously, you know, you don't have the luxury of feeling emotion or would it really have utility when you're right. on combat lines. Um, but then coming back, not being able to cope with the emotions they feel or bring that emotional system back online where it needs to be to connect in their relationships. And so a lot of soldiers think, you know, you just tell me what to do, like, give me an order and I'll do that. And that should make our marriage fine. Um, And they don't realize that their partner doesn't want to be, they don't want to be their drill sergeant, (laughs) you know, hey, but they also want their partner to share their emotional experience. And we know in in EFT and from neurology that our nervous system, our physical body can actually tell the difference when somebody is 
just sort of going through movements like following a directive versus they're really emotionally interjecting themselves into the process. And so some of them don't see why not feeling isn't a big deal. So can right. you speak to that? <laughs> sure, yeah. And then I agree with you. If you even say the word emotion with a combat hardened soldier, um, they're going to kind of maybe tighten up and be like, what are we doing right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But so often I don't even talk about, use the word emotion. Um, but one of the things that I know, and since we work from attachment frame and we have attachment science, I work, we work from the frame with military couples, just like we would mm -hmm. use do civilian couples that mm -hmm. there is emotion there. And there is that hardwired need to connect with that emotion with somebody else. And so just starting out and trusting like you mentioned the gold standard of for couples mm -hmm. therapy um, that helps put me at ease to know that even though it can be difficult, um, knowing that this is actually possible. And perhaps the more shut off someone is, the more amazing it's gonna be when the couple's therapy starts to take shape. Um, but when I think about that, I think about how, even though soldiers shut that part off and they need to, um, I can think about part one of my jobs is when I was in a unit was a jump master. And so I was in charge of giving commands and telling people when and how to jump out of planes and making sure everyone was safe. Um, I needed, if I had a disagreement with my spouse in the morning before we did that, I needed to take all those emotions and anything else that I was worried about and stuff them way down someplace so that I can focus on the task at hand. And then if you take that over to the front lines, people in combat and firefights, we don't need people, soldiers to be worried and concerned about, oh, I'm just, I'm just feeling it right now. I, you know, we need, we need folks that can do what they're supposed to do in combat. Um, yeah. So part of approach that seems to work really well is just to acknowledge that there's good places mm -hmm. to be the way that they are. Often, I think soldiers that um, are really disconnected from their emotions feel blamed and that they're broken and that they're wrong and that um, they're not doing it right. And they are, I mean, I think part of our society too puts labels with post-traumatic stress disorder that perhaps mm -hmm. isn't even really technically diagnosed yet. And mm -hmm. they just feel like they're less than. Yeah. And they feel labeled and put away, but making sense of what you are doing, your ability to not connect with your emotion. Wow, we really need that. I'm really mm -hmm. appreciative that you're able to do that. Your unit's really appreciative that you're really did, able to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, we need you to continue to do that. We're just mm -hmm. going to work on doing something different is what mm -hmm. seems to work when I'm talking with these folks so that you can do both. Yeah. Oh, so I love that. that. So sort of adding a skill so that they know you know, when to switch gears so they can do what they need to do while they're at work and be able to switch gears when they come home and do something differently with their family. Right, and that's what we've really needed to learn how to language as we promoted EFT within the Army. And as mm -hmm. we got um, Hold Me Tight mm -hmm. and Created for Connection approved as official curriculum to use in some official programs is that senior leaders, senior military leaders were nervous. Like we don't need emotional soldiers. And we would language that and like, of course you do. You just don't need emotional soldiers on the front lines, but you need yeah. emotional soldiers to connect with their people that they value the most. And so mm -hmm. the both and and not the either or. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So do you use words or language other than emotion or do you still use the word emotion when you're dealing, uh, working with soldiers? Um, that might come up from time to time, but I just focus like what we know in EFT is on what's happening right in the moment and reflecting, like we would say with the tango reflecting present process and not really talking about, well, what emotion is that? But asking more questions like, what are you experiencing right now? What do you notice in your body? What is that feeling? What is that feeling that you feel in your body? What is that telling you? And connecting to the emotion that way instead of asking really direct emotion type questions. I have really a lot of soldiers who can't, who really even struggle with that part, being able to like, well, I don't feel anything in my body. It's right. kind of, you know, how do you start helping them broach that line and, and start to tune in and recognize that there are cues there that, that they can start turning into or sure. turn, connecting to. <laughs> right. Um, I think for me, the first thing I think of is the self of the therapist. And what I mentioned already is that I can relax into knowing the spinal works. And also knowing that these soldiers, even if they are presenting right now is really emotionally disconnected, they know what it's like to be emotionally connected to their um, battle buddies, to the people that they've been in combat with, to when you talk to someone about the bravery that they've done on the battlefield, it's not a uh, well, I was so brave. It was, I had to do this because of the guy next to me. And I needed to do this because I didn't want to let him down or her down. And so that bond and that closeness, they know what that's like. And so really it's more of a, it moves, perhaps will move a little slower. It's a really uh, good way to put it. Like I do this because of the person next to me, because maybe their life depends on both of our lives. And we know that again, attachment is also part of our existential system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why do this? Why connect to those parts when I'm with my spouse or my family because of the person next to you that you right. want to stay in that relationship with? Yep. And I have found that we, when I do the same things that we teach, in the externship and core skills and through supervision, when I do those same things with soldiers, they have the experiences within the military that's gonna connect with those same strategies. They might be different than what civilians have connect with, like they will connect it to experiences that they've had in training where they were really emotional and something really moved them and it brings them to an experience within their world um, that they've been through that was really intense. And then that you use that, or I've often found that that's helpful to use to help heighten and deepen emotion. Cause they, we know that everyone is wired with deep emotion. It's just yeah. how we access that. And so soldiers are gonna access that in perhaps different ways than civilians might. And uh, that's a good point. You know, I love how you talked about being moved and it made me think of, you know, the, the partners that I often see of a service member. That's one of the things that they talk about is when they say, you know, I'd like my partner to be more um, emotionally connected. They're not saying I want a partner who like cries all the time and blubbers. Like there's so, there's so many ways to express emotion and crying is just one. And it's not always the you know, the match for the emotion going on. There's lots of other emotions like joy and happiness and love. And, you know, 
hurt doesn't always necessarily come with tears. You know, they want to know that that they that their partner is impacted in some way by their love for their spouse, by the pain of their spouse's experience. And so getting some kind of sense in their body that their body can anchor to, because again, like people can actually physically tell the difference. Um, that, that feeling versus just knowing logically just feels so different in the body. So they need something that their body can grab onto that feels safe that says, you know, you're impacted by this in some way, whether it's a positive thing or something that's really hard, because when you're impacted, it says that I matter. It says that you care. And that's generally what everyone's looking for is to know that they're cared for, that they matter to the person they love the most. So spot on. And when some of these thoughts or experiences or emotions come up for these soldiers, when they are trying to connect and sometimes just trying to work their way through it and it's not working well as they're trying to connect with their spouse and some of the training language comes out from the way the military has trained them if you're able to sit with that and then help them explain what that means when they hit that space when their mind goes right into the training and help slow that down to where right before your mind goes into where you're hit the training like a plus b equals c what's happening for you in that and even with the soldier is just barely able to touch that and to share that with their spouse, what you just described seems to really happen mm -hmm. because the spouse knows that how, how significant that is and what that means when they're able to do that. And it starts just opening doors of vulnerability that is really exciting to watch and be a part of. There's that other naughty word in the military, vulnerability. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this such an ugly word for soldiers, the word vulnerability? And, and what does that actually mean? For soldiers, I mean, vulnerability, everywhere we're hardwired through training to um, not be vulnerable at all. You know, we have creeds and things that talk about giving 100% and then some of not leaving any soldier behind. Um, if I'm the last person on the battlefield, I will continue to fight you know, that sort of thing. And to show any kind of vulnerability, vulnerability shows weakness. Um, but then we, it's, as we start to help soldiers connect to those experience where they are trusting and putting everything they are about just their survival into the person next to them or into the equipment that they have, they start to understand what vulnerability is really all about. And that they're already being vulnerable because they're trusting these, these um these systems or this equipment to keep them safe and starting to understand that it's okay you the reason why you put body armor on is because you know and you're vulnerable and you know that mm -hmm. if you get hit in a certain spot with a bullet that's not going to be good so you put something on to, to help you um, but then you know that when you want to be really comfortable when you want to relax when you want to have a good time you're not walking around with your body armor on because that's not helpful to relax. And so helping people understand when you relax and you're really connected to your friends or you're having a good time, you're not walking around with your plate carrier on with your body armor in there. You've taken that off and helping those kind of images help soldiers understand that when you're at home, it's okay to take your protection off. It's okay to be open because they understand that it's just languaged differently. Um, yeah. 
I, I find, you know, I love what you're saying too, is that a lot of partners feel can also, it's like a gift to them because when their partner's able to be around them without their armor, without their protection, you know, and sort of allowing their, their partner's spouse to be there for them and comfort them emotionally, it's like sometimes it helps their partner even to feel like I'm doing something important for you. I'm doing something helpful. Like I can't be out on the front lines with you. I can't shoot a gun or step in front of a firing line for you to keep you safe. But maybe when you're at home, I can love you and impact you in a way that helps you know that you're important. And that also helps me feel important because I feel like I'm actually doing something important for you and impacting you in an important way. So it's like a gift and it feeds the marriage positively. Yeah, it feeds the marriage in a place where both have some um, agency, I guess, or some input into creating this safe place, this secure base where people can really connect in a way that, you know, we were wired to connect to each other from the beginning. So it's really exciting. It, this is really exciting. And, and so I have a lot of soldiers when they come in, they really struggle with how, I think because they've had such a long practice of pushing things down. So teaching them to start accessing those and just being aware when they're at home, when they're with their family, to start thinking about their experience that they could share with their partners. A lot of them really struggle with this because it doesn't come naturally or hasn't been natural for a long time. And so they can sort of forget that they're supposed to do that. So are there any techniques or tips that you would say to help them starting to pay attention to themselves when they're at home in service of their relationship to their body's felt experience of something? Um, so they could be more emotionally present with their partners or bring themselves into their romantic relationship with their family more in an emotionally present kind of way? Yeah, one, one way that really works well is that every soldier that's been through basic training and continues to train is, has to go to, of course, the firing range and so they learn how to shoot and they learn how to shoot well. And the more specialized you are, the better you learn how to relax your body and pay attention to what's going on. And they actually train every soldier to do what they call four, four square breathing, which for those of us in our world know that it feels and sounds an awful lot like mindfulness. And so what is interesting is that when I'm able to remind soldiers like, hey, remember how you calm yourself down when you're on the firing line and you have to score an expert, you know, so you can get promoted or so you can, you know, make it through and not have to retrain. And they tell you how to breathe and it helps your heart slow down. It helps you to stay really smooth and connected with what's happening. I wonder if you could try that when you're trying to make sense of what's going on for you and just connect yourself to that skill that you've already perfected because you're a good shot. Uh, at least we hope they're a good shot, <laughs> that you've already per perfected that use that when you're trying to make sense of what's happening for you. And then I marry that just in session as we talk about, hey, we're going to ask tough questions. No one's going to have any answers to them. And that's okay, because there's perhaps no words put to these experiences that you've had or 
things that are going on with inside you. And for the first time, we might be figuring out what's coming up and you might not have the answer for that. And that's okay. We're just going to co-create this together. We're going to co-create this meaning and uh, we're just going to fish around. And so it's not a right or a wrong. And so as I put those two together is that when you're at home, remember when you don't know what's going on, you're not wrong. It's okay. Why would you know if you never have hung out in that place? So let's put that breathing in place, slow things down and just notice what's going on. And then we can work on it more when you're here about what you noticed and we can help create that meaning again together. So I love that. So really helping them using some of the military experience to help them connect with a process that they already know how to do and kind of using that in a extending that skill into another area in service of the relationship. Cause I know I, I've had service members like, well, why do I want to do this? Cause you want to be connected to your partner. Right. That's why you're here. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. So helping them pay attention to that, um, you know, and that it's okay to not have the answers. You know, we're, this is uncharted territory and we're just gonna explore and, and see if we can't start to chart that territory and make right. sense out of it. So yeah, there's, there is no right or wrong answer. Yep. And what's really exciting, what is really exciting as well is especially for, as you get more into more specialized units, the soldiers and spouses that are in those places are, are very intentional and know how to be very focused and know how to follow and learn and do the things that are asked. And even if, soldiers aren't in those specialized units. They're just our normal heroes that are on the front lines. They know what it's like to be focused and disciplined and follow directions, really. And so as you marry that with these new ways of understanding their experience, once they grasp that this is really shifting their relationship, the, the excitement about how it picks up momentum and speed is really cool to watch and really cool to be a part of because they know how to focus to get a result. And when they start to focus that energy into that space of what we're asking people do to do to connect, um, it's really neat to be a part of. And they experience their relationship in a whole new way they never thought was possible. Yeah, yeah. And it really is amazing. And um, when, So one of the last parts that I want to touch on, too, is I often hear when um, soldiers or service members come back, um, they just want to keep things positive, right? Like, we don't want to spend our time fighting. And so they, they just want to focus all their interactions on positive things. And, you know, as, as you know, it's really hard because life isn't only just positive. I mean, it makes sense why you would want to, you know, maybe you've been away and, and you've been in the, the suck of battle, you know, or training or deployment, and your partner has been at the, the suck of single parenting. But you know, I, I often use the metaphor of, of the foxholds, like your bond with your foxhole partner isn't formed while you guys are, again, sipping margaritas and having fun, right? right. These are life or death situations, something bad is happening, and you're forming a bond. And so, you know, being able to be with what's actually happening and no one wants to fight no one wants to you know have to deal with that kind of stuff when they come home but if we can't tune in and be with our partners and offer that love and support then it can almost actually 
bring about the exact thing you were trying to avoid. And I think a lot of even even regular civilians kind of miss this is that, you know, forming a strong bond with someone isn't only about good times. It's about how to come together and love and support each other, especially in the hard times. And that's what really forges a bond as strong and being able to endure and persevere hardship. And that means we can't just skip the hard things that are happening. What would you say for that, Greg? I, I think that's just spot on. And I think we watch um, couples, whether in the military or out of the military, try to just stay positive on a surface level. But what I love about EFT is that we know that there are those attachment fears and those attachment longings that are hardwired. And even in the session, when people come in and work with us, even if they're trying to keep it so positive, that starts to shift very quickly when those attachment fears and longings are hit and the negative cycle shows up. And as we start to help people experience connection when things aren't going well, that's mm -hmm. when they really start to realize, holy smokes, you know, there, this is a different connection that is not superficial in the positive, in this positive area that we're trying to keep life at, but we're both really hurting right now, but yet I feel connected more than anything. And we hear soldiers and their spouses talk about how there's just a weight that seems to fall away that even though they're there and it's really hard what we just did, because we've touched on vulnerability, they're able to say like, wow, this is um, an amazing experience that I never thought could happen. And yeah. I had one couple just talk about recently about what we did in the last two weeks is more than what we did in the last year in, in counseling prior to this. And it's all due to the model and having people connect when things aren't going well. And so yeah. and that's such an important point too, is, you know, being able to connect when things are going tough, when things are hard, and I, I remember too, that a lot of my service members struggle with what to do. Like I have to do something when my partner has a lot of emotion. It's like, I don't have the tools, right? I don't know what to do. It feels like I'm supposed to do something, but I don't know what to do. So I'm just gonna tell them it's not that bad. Don't feel that way, you know? And they don't realize that you don't have to fix their problem. <laughs> Most people are pretty capable, I mean, maybe, in some circumstances, but they'll probably let you know, I need you to fix it um, or help me fix it. But a lot of times they just want to know that they're loved and cared and that their partner can just kind of be there and commiserate like, yeah, I get that's really hard and stressful. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that's going on, but you know, I love you, I'm here with you and we're gonna get through it. You know, just holding the space and not doing anything but loving their partner and not telling them not to feel that way. Just giving a little bit of space is actually doing something pretty effective, um, you know? And so with that, a lot of emotion, helping them to realize, you know, I, I don't need a directive. I can just hang out and can actually take some pressure off. <laughs> right, it can. You know? And it's hard for soldiers to take that task-oriented type, I have to do something, because that's their whole world is that if there's something that needs to happen, I need to do it and I need to lean into it. And that's what makes them good soldiers. But when they start to put that same kind of intentionality into what I need to do right now is just hang out and just be. When they start to experience that, 
and what that elicits and that connection that has with their spouse that you just described, um, yeah. they're able to really experience their partner in a whole new way. And there's always that fear, we're gonna get stuck there and it's gonna dominate the time. And I promise if your partner is sad or upset, if you sit with them and hold them, comfort them, give them words of support, I get this is hard, I'm here with you. I promise you it's not gonna be all day and all weekend. <laughs> It'll probably maybe 20 minutes, maybe an hour, you know, and the more effective we can get at being there with each each other the the more effective we can be at feeling soothed and when we feel soothed our nervous system goes down and then we can go back to it's like oh I feel better now okay let's let's carry on and, and to our you know and and people don't realize is that when they try to shut down the emotion it sparks this negative cycle that we've talked about and then couples end up fighting and going through a fight actually takes longer than it would have taken if they had just sat with their partner's emotion in the first place, you know, so you actually expend more energy and waste more time fighting than just being with each other, fighting that process. So, um, and you mentioned something important, Greg, and, and I'm, um, you can just maybe offer some of our folks listening a, a brief definition. When we say attachment fears and attachment longings, what are those exactly? Sure. Yeah. Well, attachment longing is just that we're all hardwired to long to be close to our person, to the one person that we value the most. We have this deep hardwired longing to be close to them. Um, and the fear that is coupled with that longing is that that fear is when that's realized it's catastrophic because we feel like our world will end if we're not able to be attached to that person. And when that fear comes up for us, it generates all kinds of action tendencies or responses or behavioral type um, ways of managing that fear that tends to not be helpful for a relationship. Yeah. So, so the feeling, what you're saying is the feeling isn't, isn't wrong. A lot of people say, oh, I get into a lot of trouble, you know, or I see a lot of people do really bad things when they're feeling a lot. And it's really not the feeling, it's what they're doing as they're feeling. And the less somebody knows their emotional world, the less control they have over it, you know, whether they're shutting it down and sharing it with no one, you know, or they are just spewing it out and not even attempting to organize it. You know, we're talking about someone who can go inside and know and be um, thoughtful about how they express it. And so, you know, having those emotions like you said, it can feel catastrophic. We're all wired for connection. And so, uh, you know, even an attachment fear could be, so, okay. Um, attachment is wired into our survival instincts, just like we have a drive for hunger. We also are have a drive for connection, right? So, and like we're wired to scan our physical environment for threats to our physical safety, we are also um, scanning our emotional, our, our social world for threats to connection. And that also can be like, you know, if my partner thinks I'm the bad guy or doing something wrong, then I might not be able to get connected to them. Why would they want to be with me? Or, you know, they're not going to like me very much and we're going to end up fighting or whatever, you know, that can be an example of an attachment fear, right? Mm -hmm. um, or 
if I bring this up, my partner's going to reject it or they're going to reject me or, you know, um, or my partner is having some issues and I don't know what to help and I don't want to do the wrong thing. Cause again, if I do the wrong thing, then we could end up fighting, you know, those can right. be attachment fears and those longings, you know, I love what you said is that longing to be close, to be connected and the deeper and more emotionally connected a couple, the more that they can access that and, and carry that with them, even when they can't physically be together. I find, you know, as we work with types of secure, like secure or insecure attachment, with insecure attachment, when people don't know how to really internalize love and connection more deeply, because they probably had a lot of um, attachment trauma or, or just bad experiences that have um, taught them that they need to protect themselves, um, then they, those folks that can't really internalize it as much need a lot more physical closeness because they don't know how to get emotionally close. And then sometimes it can feel, you know, those terrible words, clingy, it's such an awful word. <laughs> we are, we are driven to be near, but our need to be physically close will intensify if we don't know how to feel emotionally close and you can be physically close and not emotionally close but you can be you know on different continents and be extremely emotionally connected and that abides you and keeps you kind of emotion can keep you emotionally satiated while you're physically away so that's part of why that emotional connection is so so important. Would you and, add and, to that, Greg? Well, I would say as we think about military couples and even why military leaders are starting to get so excited about EFT and homey tied and created for connection is because um, just for a purely functional reason, they need their soldiers to go do what they need their soldiers to do. And what EFT offers is this place to do exactly what you just described that they can feel mostly close and bonded at home and safe and secure in a way that they can go out into the world and risk knowing that they're gonna come back to a relationship, to a marriage where they can feel safe and secure again. And um, if we take the military out of it, I mean, that's really what we all want anyway, whether you're a soldier or whether you, you're a stay at home um, spouse or whatever you do, we just want to be able to feel loved and connected and that kind of love, loving protection, that attachment allows us to be able to go out and risk in the world, get beat up a little bit and know that we can come back to the safe, secure place. Um, That's right. Also, part of that secure base is to, I can go out in the world and I don't feel like I need to be worried or anxious about being away. That's what's going to be happening when I'm away. So who's my partner going to be connecting to if they're not connecting to me, like in a secure connection, they're, those fears aren't present, right? Because each other's feeling secure. And so that also helps each other feel more ability to be independent and do what they need to do in the world because they have that security with their partner. I don't need to worry. I don't feel like I need to stick close to home because of what's going to be happening when I'm away, you know, because you can't always physically be there. So it's, you right. know, I love that. All about that secure connection helps build that safety in multiple ways. For sure. Well, that's incredible. Thank you so much, Greg. I so appreciate you coming on and just really sharing your heart for this um, 
you know, EFT and the soldiers, our service members. And again, thank you so much to our service members um, for your hard work and your dedication and your service. And, um, you know, definitely going to be lifting you all up in our thoughts and our prayers. Um, and so, Greg, if folks want to see you, so you are an EFT trainer as well. So you could probably offer some trainings to our EFT community, our global EFT community, if they want. But if folks want to search you out and, you know, if they're maybe not a therapist, but a, um, a person wanting therapy, how could they find you? How could the therapist find you? Sure. Yeah. Basically, all for all answers to all of that is just go to my website. It's a drgregchini.com. And they're at drgregchini.com. You can connect to all of those. There's talks about um, our training opportunities. Um, you can also connect to resources there that I have that folks that are wanting to get more in touch with how to come alongside military um, families and soldiers and help. There's just free resources there as well. And then also there's a link there if people are looking for uh, my private practice. So um, yeah, drgregchini.com. And that's about it. And there's a way to email you through your website as well. Yes. If you want to get in touch with you. Yeah, they can Perfect. contact me through that. People do that all the time. Um, pretty straightforward. Awesome. Now, are there, is there anything else that you want to mention to make sure that people know about any articles you've written or special appearances or anything like that? <laughs> Other than this special appearance on your podcast, <laughs> no, I, there, everything that um, I have is on that website. So um, I, I do okay. trainings here and there, um, especially locally here in North Carolina. But yeah, that's all detailed there at drgregchini.com. Perfect. All right. And, and since we know that Zoom trainings are now a becoming more of a comfortable territory, you know, with or without COVID, you know, so we can bridge the uh, gaps in distance. You know, I'm sure folks could could email you and ask you about the Zoom training as well. Yes, definitely. Yep, we're awesome. talking with some folks Excellent. that are in Japan that are in Japan that are looking for something like that with military population. So, yep, Zoom is a excellent. So I will make sure to put the link to your website in the description for this video on YouTube. We are a podcast now, wherever podcasts are found, just look up We Heart Therapy. You can find us on there as well. But Dr. Greg Cheney, your last name is spelled C-H-E-N-E-Y, right? Yes, that's correct. All right, perfect. Greg, drgregchaney.com. So if you are listening on the podcast version, you at least know how to spell it and can, or you can Google Dr. Greg Cheney EFT North Carolina, and I'm sure they would pull it up too. So just want to, you know, hope, get everyone away to be connected to you so they can reach out if they like. So um, thank you again, Greg, so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us, to give us the benefit of your wisdom. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your heart for military families, spouses, and service members. And I uh, just really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. My, my grandfather, my father were both service members. My first husband was in the military. So, um, you know, it's definitely something very close to my heart. So thank you again to all of our viewers and uh, make sure that you check out Greg's website and get in touch with him. 
make sure you check out my book that's coming out, um, Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Working with Challenging and Difficult Clients. You can find it on Amazon or my website, drbugatti.com. And, you know, again, you can find this on YouTube, find it on uh, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found, We Heart Therapy. Make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. Don't forget to buy my book, Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients for Helping Professionals, available on Amazon or on my website, www.drbugatti.com.